There was once a man who was convinced that he was dead. His wife and his children kept trying to persuade him that he was not dead. They tried telling him, look, you're not dead. You're walking and talking and breathing. How can you be dead? But he continued to insist that he was, in fact, perished. Uh, Finally, the family took him to a doctor, and the doctor pulled out his medical books, and he showed him how the heart pumps blood around the body and how the veins and the capillaries carry blood around the body. And he sought to demonstrate to the man that dead dead men cannot bleed. And after some time, the man admitted, yes, dead men do not bleed. So the doctor took the man's hand and a needle, and he pricked the end of his finger. And the man immediately started to bleed. And the man looked at his finger in amazement, and he said, well, what do you know? Dead men do bleed. (laughs) Now, you hear that story, and... Part of the reason that is funny is because we can see something of the truth in it. We all know probably people who believe things in spite of evidence to the contrary. Perhaps we've been guilty of that ourselves. Sometimes what we want to believe is more important than the facts themselves. And although we don't like to admit it, uh, our feelings, our desires, or our fears uh, often have a bigger part to play in what we believe than, as I say, we would like to admit. That leads us to the theme this morning. In our our service seats, you'll notice that I've I've called uh, this message Conspiracy Theories and Christmas, conspiracy theories and Christmas. And that is really the theme of this morning. Uh, Because we live, it seems almost, in an age of conspiracy. Um, You don't need me to tell you that there's just go online and you can find all sorts of conspiracy theories out there about all sorts of things. Moon landing. The assassination of JFK, uh, COVID, vaccines, Princess Diana. Uh, All these things are very much alive and well as conspiracy theories in our society. And researchers say that conspiracy theories grow uh, in times of great uncertainty and turmoil in society. Uh, If there is uncertainty in a society, uh, just keep watching and you'll see conspiracy theories start to rear their heads. Uh, Because they're nothing new. Uh, We might call our age an age of conspiracy, but uh, conspiracy theories have existed as long as mankind has. And we see that in the passage that we read earlier. Uh, You'll remember that the land's of Israel and Judah were experiencing a time of great uncertainty and turmoil. 
they were threatened from nations round about them, and they did not know what was going to happen next. And sure enough, conspiracies started to arise. Conspiracy theories started to be spread amongst the people, whisperings amongst each other. What's going to happen? What about this? What about that? And you'd have to be a very strong person not to be unsettled by all these whisperings going on around you. And Isaiah himself, the prophet of God, it seems, was being shaken by all these things that he was hearing around him. All these ideas, all these theories, all these plots, all these things that he could hear amongst the people. And so God comes to him. And God speaks to Isaiah in the midst of his doubt and in his confusion. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. It says God speaks to Isaiah with a strong hand. It's almost like God puts his strong hand on Isaiah's shoulder and he says, do not walk in the way of this people. Do not be troubled by all these things you are hearing. Uh, Don't be troubled by all the news on the TV. Don't be troubled by all these messages of doom and gloom that you can hear around you. And he puts a strong hand on Isaiah's shoulder. Now it's noteworthy uh, that God doesn't actually say to Isaiah whether the conspiracies that he was hearing were true or not. God doesn't get into all of that. Uh, He doesn't explain that, no, well, this is true and this is not true and, well, this is partly true. He doesn't go into all of that. Instead, God addresses what is truly the central issue in Isaiah's heart and what is truly the central issue in whatever conspiracy theory we might hear. And this leads to the first point this morning, uh, the reason behind conspiracy theories, the reason for conspiracy theories. And God, as he speaks to Isaiah, puts his finger on what is really at play when we, as human beings, uh, concern ourselves with all these different ideas and conspiracies. And what God puts his finger on is that what really lies behind it is fear, anxiety, uncertainty. Uh, Fear is so often what feeds and fosters conspiracy theories. Uh, That's why they appear in times of uncertainty and turmoil. Uh, Things happen in society which cause people to feel shaken, to feel like they're not in control, like they don't know what's going to happen next, and people clutch for whatever support they can find. Uh, The President of the United States is assassinated and People are shocked. How could the most powerful man in the world be snuffed out in a second? Uh, 
the world is turned upside down by a virus and our normal way of life is completely changed. And people are rocked. Uh, People are made unstable and they cling to whatever sense they can make of the situation. It's a good rule of thumb uh, to remember uh, that when you're listening to someone or even listening uh, to a video online or wherever else you may be hearing uh, some new idea, some new theory, uh, remember that in all likelihood you're listening to someone who is anxious. Someone who deep down has a gnawing fear. And that is what is motivating them, more likely than not, to share it with you. Uh, That conspiracy theory they're sharing with you might be an expression of what they fear. Uh, The government are uh, against us. Uh, They are manipulating things and they're out to do us harm. That's the fear which lies in their heart. Or perhaps the the conspiracy theory itself is their attempt to alleviate the fear. Uh, They're trying to restore stability and security to their life. And they say, oh, well, this is what's happening. Uh, This is how this happened. So-and-so did this and that and the other. And it all makes sense now. And they're seeking to find security. They're trying to restore the stability that they're in danger of. Of losing, And it's important to remember that is often what is happening when we or other people are sharing these conspiracy theories. But God says to Isaiah, do not play that game. Do not play the same game as this people who are desperately trying to seek for security in their ideas and their understanding. And they're desperately trying to work out what on earth is going on in this world. And they're reaching for anything to give them that stability. God says to Isaiah, it's a groping in the dark. It will not give you the security you desire. It will not lead where you think it's going to lead. And that leads to the second point this morning. That's the reason behind conspiracy theories. But God tells Isaiah what the result of them is. Look at verse 21. Uh, He speaks of the people. And when he says it in the first verse here, he's speaking of the land. It's their lives, their lives in the land of Judah. He says in verse 21, they will pass through it, through their lives, hard pressed and hungry. And it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. God says to Isaiah, the people are searching for the answers to this uncertain situation they're finding themselves in. They're clutching at this and that idea, but it's just going to lead them into darkness. It will lead them hard-pressed and hungry, God says. Uh, In other words, uh, he's saying that uh, delving into these theories and these ideas, these, these human attempts to give explanations... 
He says it's like trying to quench your thirst with salt water. You think it might help. You're thirsty and it's water. But of course, it will have the opposite effect. Salt water will just make you even more thirsty. Uh, The people of Judah actually were even going to mediums and wizards to try and find a solution to the anxiety and the uncertainty that they were feeling. Uh, Look at verse 19. Uh, God says to Isaiah, And when they say to you, Seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? Again, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, perhaps you say, well, we, we don't search for mediums and wizards. You know, that's a thing from past ages. But people do, don't they? Horoscopes, astrology. People try to find some sort of stability in their life, some sort of assurance of what the future has in store uh, by looking at their star sign and at some column in the newspaper. And it's nonsense, isn't it? There's no way the kind of configuration of the stars in the sky can tell you what you're going to do next Tuesday. It makes no sense. And yet people will clutch at anything to try and feel a degree of certainty. And we might say, well, that's obviously foolish, but we might fall into a similar sort of trap. Uh, Have you ever had someone come to you and say to you, you you must read this book. Uh, This book gives you the answer. Uh, If you read this book and understand what it's saying, then your life will be transformed. Uh, Or this scientist, or this cure... Or this food. These things will give you the answer that you've been looking for. This new diet which is going to work this time. Uh, This new idea, this new philosophy. And you see how we can so often get led into these different things, these human ideas which we think will give us the stability we want. The certainty we crave. Some even find uh, hidden keys in the Bible. And they say, uh, there's a secret which has been hidden for thousands of years, which people never saw before until I found it in my Bible. But there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, If someone ever says to you that they've discovered something new that no one else has found before, then run away. (laughs) It's not. Uh, Someone else will have come up with it first. And it probably will not do you much good. God says those paths, those human attempts at certainty and security only lead to darkness. Either a darkness of delusion, because you believe something that's not true, or the darkness of bitterness and anger when you discover that that thing was not all you hoped it to be. Some Christians follow a a particular political party and they put all their support and their um, enthusiasm behind this party or behind this man or woman, this leader. And they think this is where society will be cured. This is the person to do it. Then that person gets involved in a scandal or they don't win the election or something else happens and it all falls to pieces. And what happens? There's nothing left. And... We're tempted to feel bitter and cynical 
because we think, well, it didn't work. But the truth is, the reality is that we put our hope in something which we never should have put our hope in in the first place. Uh, People put their faith into some new cure which they think will do the trick, then it doesn't work. Uh, They embrace and nurture some pet theory which explains the situation we're in, and then it's disproved. And they're tempted to feel bitter, as it says in verse 21. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Uh, They'll blame the king. They'll blame God even for the bitterness that they are feeling when really it's simply because they went to the wrong place in the first place. Uh, They went to the well thinking it would uh, quench their thirst, but they found it was empty. They found it was leaking. But God teaches Isaiah a better way. God teaches Isaiah a better way than the way of the people. And this leads to the third and last point this morning. The remedy. The remedy for conspiracy theories. Look at verse 13. I'll read from verse 12. God says, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts him you should hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. God says to Isaiah, our security does not come from the latest conspiracy theory. Our security does not come from the latest idea of man. Our security doesn't even come from refuting conspiracy theories because it it works on both sides of the coin some people spend all their time delving into some conspiracy theory but other people spend all their time trying to refute a conspiracy theory because they think security will come from doing that but it's all just a uh, endless cycle which doesn't get anywhere instead God says don't look there look to me Don't fear what the people around you are saying. Uh, Don't fear all these ideas of governmental conspiracy or uh, all these plots and schemes that may or may not be happening in the world. Don't let them trouble you. Instead, look to me. Be concerned about what I say, not what all the people around you are saying. If your security, whoever you are, whoever we are, depends upon you understanding everything and knowing everything about this world or about the perplexities we find ourselves in at the moment, then you will always be insecure. You will never find the solutions that you are looking for. Uh, No matter how much you delve on all the websites and all the ideas and how much you research you will not find a bottom to your curiosity, to your uh, desire for understanding. God says to you, let me be your fear. Let me be your dread. If you're going to be anxious, worry about obeying me, because that is ultimately what matters most. Uh, Worry about obeying me, 
and I will take care of all the rest. That is the safe path. Because God has told us how we should live. God has told us what to do in the society that we live in. There's no mystery about it. Uh, So many people live their lives in fear of the government, don't they? Uh, They fear that if they give an inch to the government, the government will take a mile. Uh, So many people live their lives in terror of of Big Pharma and and the healthcare um, monolith that exists in this country and across the world. So many people live their lives in fear of global warming. So many people live their lives in fear of death itself. And almost without wanting to or without helping it, they they cling to the supports which this world offers to try and give stability and security against all these things. But God says, hush. Do not be afraid. Trust me. I've got you. Underneath are the everlasting arms. There is no government in the world which can wrest you from my hands. There is no vaccine or no health solution which is going to take my love away from you. There is no world catastrophe that can happen that can separate you from my love. Do not fear those things. Fear me. Listen to me. Listen to what I tell you. Trust me and no ultimate harm will come to you or your family. Uh, You may go through hardship. Uh, Your family may and will at some point experience death. But God says, I prepared a place for you. You are secure. You are safe. This is what Jesus meant uh, in Luke chapter 12 when he tells us, he commands us, do not be anxious. Uh, He says because we can't make a single hair black or white. Now you might object and say, well, yes, we can. There's hair dye. But hair dye proves the point. The point is you can't really change your hair color um, because give it time and it will grow back the color you didn't want it to be. Uh, You need to keep on using hair dye. Hair dye proves Jesus' point. You cannot change at the bottom the colour of your hair. Even one hair, you cannot change fundamentally its colour. And he says you don't need to. That is all in God's wise hands. You can leave it with him. Uh, The famous missionary to India, uh, Henry Martin, Uh, He once said, while God has work for me to do, I am immortal. I love that phrase. He says, while God has work for me to do, I am immortal. And he had learned the secret. Uh, He had learned what Jesus was teaching. Uh, He was saying, at the end of the day, I'm not going to live one second more or one second less than what God intends me to live. So why worry about it? Now, of course, we should all seek to obey God, and that means we need to be responsible in the choices that we make. Um, God says we shouldn't waste our money. God says we should be responsible, we should be good stewards of what we have, and that includes our bodies. 
so we don't just throw our lives away recklessly. Um, that would be foolish and against what God wants. But at the same time, it means we don't have to fret. We don't have to be constantly worried about some sickness which might take us in a moment. It's all in God's hands. God has it all under control. All we need to worry about, if that's the right word, is obeying him. To hallow him in our hearts. Let him be our fear and let him be our dread. Uh, As Isaiah puts it, Uh, in verse 16 he says bind up the testimony seal the law among my disciples and I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him that's Isaiah's answer to the conspiracy theories he says I don't know what's true and what's false (laughs) I don't know what conspiracy theories might be true I don't know what conspiracy theories might be false I don't know what mixture of truth and lies are in any of them but I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to hope in him. I'm going to listen to what he tells me and obey him, no matter what the people are saying. And God's encouragement to Isaiah applies equally as much to us as well. I'm sure all of us, to some extent, are feeling doubt, uncertainty about the year ahead, what's going to happen with Russia. Uh, When's the next pandemic going to hit? What's going to happen with our bills and the energy prices? But God says to us, don't scour the internet for an answer. Don't delve into all these human ways to make sense of the situation. Simply ask yourself, what does God want me to do in this situation? What does obedience to God look like? in this society and if we put God first in that way then God will take care of the rest and we can go to our beds content that God has it all in hand but in closing uh, I said this is uh, the title of this message was conspiracy theories and Christmas there's not been much about Christmas in it so far Uh, where does Christmas come into all of this What did you notice at the beginning of chapter 9? This is one of those cases where the chapter divisions is unfortunate in the Bible. The the chapter divisions in the Bible weren't inspired. Uh, They were added later. And because of the gap between chapters 8 and chapters 9, we might be tempted to think chapter 9 is about a different topic to chapter 8. But it isn't. It follows on from verse 22. Let me read 8 verse 22 and then into chapter 9. God says, then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. Just to explain what God is saying here. Uh, You might remember how we heard last week or two weeks ago how the empire of Assyria, uh, God said the the Assyrians would come and sweep through the northern land of Israel and attack Judah. And they would sweep through all these northern countries. And uh, Zebulun and Naphtali are two of the most northern tribes of Israel. 
They are the tribes which will experience the greatest darkness as the Assyrians sweep in and take out everything in their path. Uh, They will experience a great darkness. They will be more susceptible than anyone to these conspiracies which were going out amongst the people. Uh, So much so, they're even called Galilee of the Gentiles. They'll get so consumed with darkness and they'll be so separated, it seems, from God that it'll be called Galilee of the Gentiles. And you look what verse 2 says. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. God says, in this place of greatest darkness, in this place of greatest confusion, in this place where you have people scurrying and groping in the dark, trying to make sense of things, that's where God is going to shine his light. Because where was Jesus born? He was born in Nazareth, which was in the tribe of Zebulun. So he was born in Bethlehem, but he lived, he grew up in Nazareth, which was in Zebulun. And his ministry was mainly in Galilee, in Capernaum, which was in the land of Naphtali. God sent his only son into the place where there was the greatest confusion, where there was the greatest darkness. Uh, Even Nathaniel, one of Jesus' disciples, said, didn't he? He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was how bad it was, and yet that was where God chose to shine his light. Don't you find that encouraging? I love that thought. I love that verse. Because what that teaches us is there is hope even for our society. Uh, No doubt you... Uh, You heard on the news a few weeks ago that the census has revealed that for the first time, I can't remember the deal, I think less than half of this country uh, identify themselves as Christian or or as believing in God or something along those lines. And if you're like me, you sort of hear that news and you sort of, in a sense, it's not a surprise, but you see how far this nation has gone, uh, that they won't even claim to believe in a God anymore. And you think, is there any hope? Well, this passage says, yes, there is. Because God is able to shine in the places where there is the greatest darkness. God is not afraid of the dark. God is not intimidated by the unbelief in this or any other nation. When God chose to send his son into the world, he sent him into the place where there was the greatest darkness. So don't give up hope. (laughs) Don't give up hope on this country. And don't give up hope on perhaps family members and people you know and love who seem so far away, who seem to be groping in darkness, who seem so confused, who there seems to be no hope for. There is hope because of Emmanuel. There is hope because of Christmas. Because Christmas teaches us that God is able to shine a light where there is greatest darkness. And if you come back this evening, uh, you'll see a little bit more, hopefully, uh, of how God did that in the land of Zebulun and Nephtali. But let's close uh, by singing our final carol, number 274. And you'll be pleased to know it's not so long as the others, uh, but it's a great hymn, great carol of 
what God has accomplished. 274, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. So let's stand to sing 274.